This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your holy presence Living in me This is my daily bread This is my daily bread Your very word Spoken to me This is the air I breathe This is the air I breathe Your holy presence Living in me You are my daily bread You are my daily bread Your very word Spoken to me Hello, my name is Al Brady, and again, I want to welcome you to this ministry. I'm so pleased you've joined us, and I hope this ministry will be a blessing to you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Now, would you please hear the Word of God? It comes from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. 
Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join me for a moment of prayer. O oh God, your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Amen. Jesus Christ was a carpenter. He was a man who knew a lot about building. He told a story about two houses. One man built his house on a rock, which was a very firm foundation. The other man built his house on the sand, which was a very unfirm foundation. For a time, both houses got along fine. But then the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew. And from your study of Scripture, you know the result. The house on rock stood, while the house on sand fell. Now to begin with, this little parable illustrates the need of building a house on a firm foundation. But there's more to it than that. We also need a firm foundation for the home which we plan to put into our houses. A house can be burned up by a fire or blown away by a tornado or simply rot away and decay, and that's bad enough, but it's even worse for a home to be destroyed. There's a passage of scripture in the Song of Solomon that says, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes spoil our vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Well, the little foxes may destroy our vineyards, but they also very definitely destroy the family or the home. Some of these little destroying foxes are neglect of a partner. As someone observed, love does not die easily. It's a living thing. It thrives in the all of life's hazards save one neglect. Other little destroying foxes are disagreements over the children, arguments over money, alcohol and drugs, religious differences, lack of a common purpose or goal. As I said, Houses can be destroyed, but it's even worse when homes are destroyed and beloved homes can be destroyed. I don't think we can spend our time any better tonight than thinking about some of the necessary ingredients that go into a home built on solid rock. First of all, you've got to have a foundation, haven't you? What is that foundation? Christ in you, Christ in me, what else? Paul said to the Colossians in 127, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I say not only Christ in you, the hope of glory, but Christ in you, the foundation of a home built on solid rock. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid in Jesus Christ. In the middle of a weekly luncheon meeting of Christian businessmen in New York City, a congregational minister named Lee Whiston dropped a bomb when he asked these men, are you fun to live with? Many of them had, had concerns about their families, but with his question, are you fun to live with, their traditional concern went out the windows. He was saying, if you're living as God would have you live, other people will enjoy living with you. Well, are we fun to live with? I think God's using that question right now to check our motives and our attitudes. Why do I want my wife or my husband or my child or my parents to be more Christian at times? Is it because I want God's best for them? or because I want God to change an annoying trait of their lives that's creating a problem for me. Is my motive really love, or am I using God to nag my family? Think about it. 
a well-known minister said he had been keeping his devotional time each morning. He said his wife had not, just like a man to say that. But he said one morning he was very irritable to his wife at the breakfast table. And she had the Christian grace to say, if that's all your quiet time is producing, maybe you just better spend time in the morning in the bed. On the way to work, he got to thinking about what his wife had said. And he decided he had been feeding his own self-righteousness. He decided if he had really been spending time in God's presence, it would have made him a different person at the breakfast table. Well, wouldn't it? If anyone be in Christ, husband, wife, parent, or child, behold, the old is gone and the new is come. It is my firm conviction that God wills newness of life, joy, peace, love, and happiness, not only for individuals but for families as well. And I'm further convinced we are what we are at home. If the mask comes off, and if we simply allow the mask to come off and we understand God speaking to us through our wife's or husband's loving rebuke or suggestion, God lives in us everywhere. The home is always our test of spiritual growth. And so I say Christ in you, not only the hope of glory, but Christ in you, the foundation of a home built on solid rock. A husband and father help to work out a vacation for his family, a camping trip, from Montgomery, Alabama, up and down the West Coast to California and back again. He couldn't go because of business, but he knew the exact route they were going to be taking and everywhere they would go. He got through this business deal early, and so he got a plane, and he flew out to where he was, his family was going, and he got a cab, and he went to the spot through which he knew they had to pass. And so he sat there and waited to hitchhike with his family who assumed he was 3,000 miles away. The person he was telling this to said, Coleman, I'm surprised your family didn't drive off the road in terror or drop dead of a heart attack. Why did you go to such enormous trouble? He said, well, someday, you know, I'm going to be dead. And when that happens, I want my wife and my kids to say, you know, dead was a lot of fun. If we're fun to live with, other people will enjoy living with us. And if we're going to be that way, Christ is going to have to live within us because he's the great fun maker. If I want God to make my home new, I must let him begin his work with me. And of course, that means total surrender of my life and will to Jesus Christ because he's the one that makes it all new. Now, the natural thing is for me to wait on my family and we'll all go down together and dedicate our life to Christ. But it just doesn't work that way. One member of every family must be the spiritual pioneer and surrender his life and will to Jesus Christ if God's action in that home is ever to begin. And so if I want God to make my home new, I must let him begin his work with me. And then secondly, if I want God to make my home new, I must learn how to love in God's way. This has something to do with chapter 13 of Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Years ago, my wife and I were asked to sit down and write the reasons that the family could stay together. They didn't want me to get this out of a book. They just wanted me to talk to my family about it, the people who asked. These are the things my wife and I came up with that keep a family together. First of all, keep God central. Have a creative family worship. You know, you can just sit around a table and talk about what was the most meaningful thing that happened to you today. That's a wonderful devotional way. Secondly, listen to each other. Listen to each other. Third, seek a shared ministry. It's important that we do something together for something greater than ourselves. Four, let family members be themselves. 
this is one of my concerns about Little League. Sometimes parents won't let their children be themselves. Let family members be themselves. Five, don't be so responsible all the time. Marriage and family life is serious business, but we still need to have fun sometimes. So don't be so responsible all the time. Six, allow other family members to minister to me. How important that is. Seven, do things together. Eight, share household responsibilities. Nine, learn how to appreciate. Now I want you to think about eight and nine together. Share household responsibilities. I once told my wife if she'd let me off a little bit on that, she'd be the most appreciated woman that ever lived. So let's go back again. Eight, share household responsibilities. Nine, learn how to appreciate. 10, group planning is wise. 11, be intentional with your own life. And so if I want God to make my home new, I must learn how to love in God's way. And then if I want God to make my home new, I must be honest. A father was having trouble with his little son. He lied all the time, even when it was easy to tell the truth. So he went to his preacher and said, listen, can you help me with my boy? The preacher said, I'll do my best. So on the way to the house, the preacher got to thinking, how can I help this little boy realize lying is wrong? Then he said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll just tell him the biggest lie I can think of, and he'll realize lying is wrong. So when he got there, after he met the little boy, he said, son, on the way over here, I saw a little fifey dog about this high, attack a big eight-foot gorilla bear. He just ate him up, and when he finished, there was nothing less but a greasy spot. He turned to the little boy and said, son, do you believe that? The little boy said, yes, sir, that was my dog. Well, sometimes we can learn from the opposite of being dishonest is honesty. Total honesty is required if God is to live in our homes. Now, our children need to know of our failures, not only yesterday when we were their age, but our failures today. And if we called everybody in for the family devotions, and we pray for the missionaries, the church, and everybody else, but we never get around to confessing our own sins, they look at us and say, well, you're nothing but a phony. And you know what? They're correct. On the other hand, if they see us being totally honest with Christ, it will inspire them to get honest with Christ as well. And so if I want God to make my home new, I must be honest. And then fourthly, if I want God to make my home new, I must allow others in my family to minister to me. Now you see, that's not easy because I'm the minister in my house. One time I felt somebody had wronged me. I was building up a pretty mean case against them. I was thinking and saying, well, I love them, but I don't like them. My wife kept saying, let's just pray that God will change our attitude. I said, but you don't understand. I didn't do that. She said, let's just pray that God will change our attitude. Suffice it to say, we did and God did. I must allow other people in my family to minister to me. And so I say, Christ in you, not only the hope of glory, but Christ in you, the foundation of a home built on solid rock. Well, the rest of this sermon is not nearly that long, but you've got to have a good foundation if you're going to make it at all. So what's the next part of this house that we build? Walls. You've got to have walls to live with. You've got to like the people you live with. Somebody said it may be great out going into outer space and all, but earth never invented anything better than coming home. Provided that home is a good place to come home to. Provided that home is a center of affection where parents love each other and children intelligently admire and respect their parents and where there's real joy in being together. Once a man consulted a psychiatrist about the best thing he could do for his children. He said, is it teaching them good morals? 
taking them to church, giving them all the provisions of life. The psychiatrist said, no, those are all wonderful, but you have not mentioned the best thing you can do for your children. He said, the best thing you can do for your children is love their mother. Are you listening to me, husbands? The best thing you can do for your children is love their mother. Are you listening to me, wives? The best thing you can do for your children is love their father. I hope you have a family time. I remember one time in Clayton, Georgia, my family, were, we were going down to Lake Rayburn on a Saturday. We were going to leave at 3. We were going to have steak. It was just going to be a beautiful day. Well, you know what happened. I got home at 6. It was not steak. It was hot dogs. It was not sunshine. It was raining. And for the first time in my life, I saw how important a woman's hairdo is because I saw my wife put a sack over her head. So there we were sitting by Lake Rayburn, a sack over her head, raining, eating hot dogs. And then my son's shoe caught on fire. And I said, son, put your shoe in the water. He puts the other foot in the water. You think I'll ever forget that? Not a chance. And this is the same family that would ride the elevators in the big Atlanta hotels during the Peach Bowl just to be a part of the team spirit to ride with the football teams. What was it Paul said? Have you no homes of your own to eat and drink in? If you are hungry, eat at home, so that in meeting together you may not fall under judgment. All right, let's keep building the house. You got the foundation, Christ in you, Christ in me. Then you got to have walls, walls of togetherness. You got to like the people you live with. The third thing you got to have is a roof. What is that roof? Faith in God. Years ago, the great preacher Phillips Brooks leaned over that big pulpit at Harvard and said, Young gentlemen, believe in God, and in the last analysis, nothing will ever overcome you. I think if he were here today, he would be saying, believe in God, have a firm, bold belief in God, and nothing will ever overcome you. It's when we slip away from God that things begin to happen to us. Dr. Dan Pauling was once the editor of Christian Herald magazine. In 1929, he was driving with his family from New Hampshire to New York City in an antiquated touring car. Suddenly something happened to the steering apparatus and the car overturned. Miss Pauling and the children were injured, though not fatally. But soon she made her way to Dr. Pauling, who was pinned underneath the car. She kept calling his name, Dan, 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 Dan. Soon help came, and they were taken to the hospital, where Dr. Pauling struggled for his life. But then he pulled out of it, and they wanted to know what he remembered about the occasion. And he said, well, I remembered hearing my wife's voice call my name, Dan, Dan, Dan. And even though I wanted to drift off into a, another place, I knew how important it was to keep listening to her voice. And at that point, the doctors interrupted and said, Dr. Pauling, we just wanted you to know that had you stopped listening to your wife's voice, you would have died. When we stopped listening to God's voice, that's when things begin to happen to us. In the final analysis, it's only our faith in God that exists between us and the enduring problems of this world. But as God said, nothing, absolutely nothing, will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's word comes to us in the form of a hymn. Though I'll never, I'll never, I'll never forsake, God says to us. And so let's keep working on the house. The foundation is Christ in you, Christ in me, walls of togetherness. You've got to like the people you live with. The roof is the faith in God. Well, we need two other things in this home and we'll be through. You've got to have a fireplace with smoke. That symbolizes prayer and family devotions. You know, there's just something about a family sitting around a fire, and they'll begin to share things with each other and with God that they had never thought about before. 
during the 1956 General Conference of the Methodist Church, the conference tore itself apart on one of the great social issues of the day. When people walked out of that conference, we were told that their heads were down. They were dragging the ground. But then it was that some people, along with a particular evangelism secretary, Harry Denman, went down to Wesley Church and set up a prayer vigil. They prayed all afternoon, they prayed all night, and in the words of a delegate, the next day when we came to that auditorium, I have never seen such a raining down of the Holy Spirit in all my life. Harry Denman had prayed. It was the practice of prayer that Jesus probably learned at his mother's knee in Nazareth that enabled him to carry on his ministry even to the cross. And so we've got to have that fireplace and chimney and smoke, prayer and family devotions. And then there's one other thing we need to have in this house, and that's walls. If you had walls, you wouldn't have empty walls. You'd have something on them. What would be on them? Pictures placed there by meaningful experiences and inspiring examples. Blessed is the young person or wife or husband or parent within whose mind are photographs of pictures of days gone by that recall all the family meant to him or her as he or she faces a fateful choice or decision. These memories will be a yardstick to use, a recollection to sustain, a yardstick to measure by, all of these things. You know, sometimes we learn from humor. A little boy owned a turtle. He loved this turtle. He played with him all the time. One day he came for him from school and the little turtle was feet up. Well, it just broke the little boy's heart. His mother couldn't do anything with him. She said, well, maybe when your father comes home, he can help you. Well, the father came in. He called his little son over. He reached in his pocket, pulled out a plastic cigarette case, and he said, son, we're going to use this as a coffin. We'll bury the turtle in here, and we'll have all the children in the neighborhood over for some ice cream and cake, and that'll be the funeral. Is that all right? The little boy said, yes, sir. He grabbed his father. They went back around to pick up the turtle. And when they got back around there, the little turtle had flipped over and was walking around again. The little boy turned to his dad and said, Pop, let's kill him. Now, I don't know what you think of that story, but do you think a little boy would ever forget a father who was willing to have a funeral for a turtle? Now, let me just get personal with you for a few minutes. I remember at my house when I was growing up, we were on the six-week system. I would take my report card home and hand it to my father. He would take it and go into the den and sit in the leather chair. He would look at it and he would say something like this. If that was the best you could do, I'd be proud of you. But that's not the best you can do. And I kept thinking, how does he know what the best I can do? And then I remembered I had two straight-A sisters and I was sandwiched in between. Well, anyway, he got mad with me one six weeks and he said, you're going to go up to your room and sit at that desk two hours a day if you don't crack a book. Well, some resentment built up within me. I was too smart to tell him, but it was there. So I went up there and I just decided I'll just sit here without studying for these two hours. In a little while, my father came up those steps. He came into my room. He pulled me over. He said, son, if I didn't love you, I wouldn't be asking you to do that. And you know what happened to that resentment? It just melted away. I had one cat in my life. It was called White Sox, a black cat with four white feet. I love that cat, but then time came for me to go to Barres Boys Ranch for two weeks and live with a horse. So I did. I went over there and stayed two weeks. On the Sunday my father picked me up, I could tell he was a little bit sad. We didn't say, any, say anything for a few minutes, and then he turned to me and he said, Son, White Sox is dead. He was run over. 
he's killed. Well, that didn't sit well with a small boy. So neither one of us said anything the rest of the way home. But when we got home, my father said, come around behind the garage, I want to show you something. And there was a brand new pony. Needless to say, I didn't think too much more of White Sox. Now my father died in 1977. Do you think I'll ever forget him? Not a chance, why? Meaningful experiences and inspiring examples. Every child deserves that. Let me repeat that. Every child deserves that. Meaningful experiences and inspiring examples. Well, that's what I wanted to tell you. The necessary ingredients for a home built on solid rock. First of all is the foundation. What is that? Christ in you, Christ in me. You gotta have walls, walls of togetherness. You gotta like the people you live with. You gotta have a roof, faith in God. You gotta believe in God because you know God believes in you. Then you gotta have a fireplace and a chimney signifying family devotions and prayers going up to heaven. And then you've got to have on your walls meaningful experiences and inspiring examples. Now why do you think our Lord Jesus Christ told that story of the two builders? He was emphasizing the necessity of doing as well as hearing. He or she that hath ears to hear, let them hear. Better still, let them do. Let them do. Join me please for prayer. Oh God, how thankful we are for our homes. We are grateful for those in our past who have given us such a marvelous heritage. We are grateful for those we live with. We are grateful for our family members who live everywhere else as well. If our homes are really not what they need to be, forgive us and help us to remold them and remake them under your guidance. And may they be what you want them to be, a beacon light to this world. Thank you again for this time together and for these friends who've joined us. Bless them. Make them all a blessing. It's in your name. Amen. When the day is done And there's no one else around While I'm lying here in bed You're in my heart, you're in my head You're all I need You're all I need There are a million voices Calling out my name But you're the one I want to hear So make the others disappear You're all I need You're all I need You are all I need when I'm surrounded You are all I need if I'm by myself You fill me when I'm empty There is nothing else You're all I need 